Welcome everyone to the Retail Corner Podcast from Proxima 360. The purpose of our podcast is to bring a relaxed and educational environment to discuss the current retail landscape, best of breed products, and retail business best practices. You will always find us talking with business users, technical resources, and retail experts on how they are and where they are headed. to the Retail Corner podcast and one more episode we have going on for you guys. Today, we're going to be speaking with Jack Stratton. He is a genius when it comes to trends, has been in companies like 438 Marketing, uh, Sprint, uh, Jay Murphy and Sons, and now today he heads Insider Trends and he's the head of trends within the company. How are you doing, Jack, today? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And the topic for today that we want to talk about, which really falls under Jack uh, realm of expertise, is effective omnichannel strategies. And so before we really get into it, right, obviously, we all know the buzzword about omnichannel. Every retailer uses it. And I think everybody tries to implement it to a certain degree. But there's there's a lack of real implementation of omnichannel, right? They just want to do the minimum, change the minimum amount of systems in order to get that omnichannel experience very on the surface. Uh, so, Jack, if you can tell us a little bit more about omnichannel and really beyond the buzzword, the intent behind omnichannel and what's supposed to be doing to help retailers succeed. Yeah, totally. So, it's something I've been kind of wrestling with for a number of years now with lots of our clients um and the the big issue with omnichannel i think is people when they or brands when they start to address omnichannel strategies or planning omnichannel strategies they kind of begin often and too often thinking about the stuff so they think of those channels and they think about the technology they think about the data they think about you know all the different things that they could be doing when actually like with everything and all businesses, not just a retail business, um, it all begins with a customer. So you just have to think, what does omnichannel retail and your omnichannel strategy mean in the context of your customer? What do they want? What are they doing? And once you do that, it becomes a lot more simple because basically omnichannel, an, an omnichannel customer journey today is kind of the default customer journey. And what I mean by that is customers start their retail journeys in lots of different ways and in lots of different places. So sometimes, you know, a customer starts their journey in store. So they come to a store for inspiration or to discover a new product or to speak with a member of staff or whatever. Sometimes they start online. Um, that might be within an app or, you know, the website or whatever. Um, but also those journeys can start in all kinds of other ways. So it might be on social media. It might even be on some kind of video on YouTube or TikTok or something. And then, the end of a journey, so the point where someone might buy a product or the point they might be returning it or have some kind of service interaction, well, that could be in-store or online. And the journey could have jumped between different channels, both physical and digital along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and when you think about those channels, it becomes confusing. But really, all it is is understanding, well, what kinds of customer journeys are relevant to your brand? So what your customers are doing? What are what your customers are doing? What are their journeys? What channels are they operating within? and making sure that you have those channels and that they're linked up and that they ensure that customers can do everything they need to do within each channel. And I think it's really as simple as that. Um, and to add to that, the most important thing beyond all of that is that omnichannel retail 
Yeah, it's a buzzword, but the reason that it's worth focusing on is that it works. So I'm not going to bore everyone with a load of stats, but all of the stats point towards the fact that omni-channel retail, you know, it, it makes brands more money. So it creates often more loyal customers. Customers who are omni-channel shoppers tend to spend more. Mm. Um, they often visit stores more often, actually, um, omni-channel shoppers. So the, the, the extent to which they're spending time online and offline means they actually end up spending more time in store as well. Um, it has all kinds of benefits, and there, was, there are so many different surveys and so much data that points towards that. So it works for retailers, but the key to omnichannel in terms of what it means is, is yeah, it's just about understanding that a modern customer journey of the modern customer, and that's just, not just some Gen Z thing. That's, that's all generations in most of the world now. Those journeys are digital and physical. They're, they're a mix of channels. Yeah, no, absolutely. And where, where do you see like, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of different retail clients and partners that we have, and there seems to be always an opportunity when it comes to the accuracy of inventory, right? Through that omni-channel experience, uh, which a lot of times creates disappointment for the customer because unfortunately items are in transit, they didn't make it on time. And there's a lack of, of real-time whereabouts of the inventory, right? And aside from inventory, what other key drivers do you think can change up the channel, like, like amplify it, you know? Yeah, totally. So I think your point um, ties into something that's really fundamental to all of it, which is that kind of the most important thing with all of this is pragmatism. I think maybe in the early days when we were talking about the link between digital and physical and we're talking about omnichannel, um, you know, a lot of people were excited about or got too focused on the technology part of omnichannel. So what's possible and talking about all the different technologies that could be plugged in. Actually, though, we realize now, especially post-pandemic, that success and failure for retailers often comes down to just getting some of those basics right. Number one, I couldn't agree more, you know, inventory. When a customer is in your store or not in your store, is your website or your online channel telling them what's there, the amount of products that's there before they come to the store? And equally, when they're at home, are you telling them, you know, this is in store and we can have it delivered then, or, you know, you can come and collect it tomorrow. Um, that, I mean, of course, that process can be incredibly difficult, especially sometimes with very large retailers, and it's complex when it, becomes to, when it comes to how you do that and how, you know, connect all of your products to online. But that kind of pragmatic stuff um, is incredibly important, actually. Um, and actually, if you look at the pandemic as well, you know, coming out of it, I think one of the biggest complaints of that kind of, you know, more inevitably more e-commerce focused period of retailing, um, people were just talking about the problem of returns, right? That was the big thing that came out of it. It was like, yeah, it's great ordering online, but how do I return stuff easily? Or equally, customer service was, was a big, big problem. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of companies are currently restructuring their supply chain to be able to deal with returns because not only is it not convenient for the customer, to your point, but they realize that, oh, we're making all this revenue off of the online environment, but they didn't really factor in returns and clearance and the combination of that loss of margins, right? Yeah. Lost the shipper and the carrier and all that. So now they're trying to restructure to, to make that channel more profitable than what it is. Absolutely. And I think it's um, on this point, you know, a lot of the look, there's a lot of smaller brands and a lot of pure play e-commerce brands who don't have the luxury of hundreds of stores across the US and Europe, right, where they can go come and return your products to this store. But, mm -hmm. he, but the, the interesting thing is so many brands who do have a massive physical store footprint, they're still even post pandemic, not really using them for things like return and customer service, even though 
for me, in terms of an omni-channel strategy, that's an open goal, right? That's an amazing use of the store in a world where your customers are increasingly buying stuff online, maybe in the future buying less in the store. Although I know post-pandemic, we're seeing some increase in footfall and in-store buying. But longer term, that's got to be an amazing use of those hundreds of stores, just using them as places to return. But then I also think with a lot of the kind of brands with less of a store presence, dealing with that problem of customer service and returns, be more creative. You know, we, we still have high streets and malls. And I think there's a big opportunity for those brands to maybe team up with other brands within their sector, other spaces, and try and just think of ways that returns and service can be solved. Because clearly in a pure play environment and when customers are, as was the case in the pandemic, just buying online, it didn't work. And when we were given this very clear um, example of how important stores are for that particular thing, the idea of customer service. And mm -hmm. So that's just one example. But I think it's such a pragmatic thing. Omnichannel, we get so caught up in some of the cool and exciting and experiential stuff that we can do. But actually, in terms of Omnichannel working or not working, it's mostly going to come down to the, to the practical stuff. Returns and services, probably number one. And, and I like what you mentioned about, you know, smaller retailers and not having that vast amount of physical brick and border locations, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see, I mean, since you're an expert in trends, do you foresee more of the smaller online brands collaborating and maybe putting one or two physical brick and border stores together and creating some sort of like this market, right? Where they can exist there primarily to provide that service, that customer service experience, that showroom type of feel, maybe get creative with some like Instagrammable type of environments for their brand, right? And also yeah. for the returns. Uh, I think if brands start collaborating, that, that will take them a very long way. But do you foresee that coming or do you think we still have this very greedy mentality of, hey, it's my brand, it's my customer, I don't want to lose it, you know, that, that mm. type of mentality. Yes, a really good point. So I think, firstly, there's definitely a trend post-pandemic of, um, well, there's been a massive boost in collapse. There's no two ways about it. So that's happening everywhere and often in the physical space. So, um, you know, if you look in kind of what's happening in New York and London in physical spaces at the moment, Collabs are all over the place. Um, mm -hmm. That's happening at scale. In terms of some of those smaller kind of pure play or digitally native brands, we're seeing a lot of those appearing in physical spaces as well, a lot of them in kind of a pop-up format, some kind of in a more semi-permanent state as well. Um, and, you know, I think going back to your kind of first point about that as well, there's definitely been something that I'm really liking, but also, you know, we're, everyone in my world is trying to work out what it means is that there are so many brands who are doing really well um, in a largely kind of e-commerce world who are deciding <laughs> to invest a lot of money in the physical stores. Right. And that surprised people, I think. So I, you know, in the UK and the US, a big, big number of kind of take up of some of those empty spaces that, that, that were empty during and because of the pandemic, they've been taken up by pure play brands or digitally native brands. Um, makes sense because there's, they're the ones with money. But I think a lot of people predicted, well, why would they bother with spaces when they're doing so well online, right? And, it's, mm -hmm. and it seems so cheap to do it online. But there's two really interesting things here. Number one, we know online retailers have got a massive issue around warehousing. So they're just, as we know, just there simply isn't enough warehousing space for online retail. Supply chains is a whole other world of com complexity, and there's huge challenges there. But just being able to buy spaces near to, you know, cities and near to kind of areas of, of, of that are highly populated with lots of customers, really, really difficult these days to find warehouse space and to be able to team up 
um, with the right supply chain partners. So I think some of those pure play brands are looking at physical space um, in a practical way, not just kind of experiential and like, because of course it's great from brand and PR point of view, who wouldn't want to be in London and New York and other great cities, but they're also thinking, well, actually they can um, serve a purpose of just being another place to have our stock and people being able to come and pick up stuff. I'm noticing a big shift towards that. One brand in the US that I've seen popping up, um, they've got a few stores in London now, they've been popping up all over the US, is Untuck It. And Untuck It are interesting to me because they were selling a lot online, but now that they keep on opening up these stores and I was reading the story about Untuck It and we've been, I've taken groups to their stores as well and they're very straightforwardly kind of omni-channel stores because what they say is we just want customers to visit to try the product, to get the sizing right because they know once they get the sizing right and they get that the product's good, then they're happy to keep buying online. Mm-hmm. They need that physical interaction with the product to go, yeah, this fits. I've got my size. I get why I'm paying this money for the product. I understand it's worth that much. Now, that's great. You get given your unique size and you have a really nice experience with a, an Untuck expert and then you might order online with them for the next three years but they're seeing the store in that kind of service capacity. And I'm seeing a lot of brands do that as well, actually. American Vintage in the in the UK and Europe are another one. Wow. And you that know, also must be creating a whole other level of loyalty, no? Because yeah. you're getting a completely different experience, right? Absolutely. And, um, and appreciation that, you know, loyalty is a really good point on this, I think. And appreciation that loyalty... Um, that's a challenge for pure play online brands and for any brands that's really, you know, that are really kind of throwing their weight behind a long-term kind of pure online strategy is there's so much you can do online. Um, but you know, to a degree, are there limits to building that truly loyal customer online? I think there probably is certainly in some retail sectors. I, I, I think there isn't, you know, there's something about still, you know, having, great stores and it and i'm not even saying that i have a particular sense of what those stores have to do it's different for every sector and every brand but mm. whatever's right for your brand and your product providing that great experience where you get to try a product on speak to an expert have a memorable experience spend some time even with other fans of that brand um you know i noticed that with um another brand i always think of when i talk about this is rafa the cycling brand um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so a lot of their following again is online you see rafa like they have a pretty big digital following like a really well-read kind of newsletter it's like a little um it's like a cult of you know <laughs> kind of pretty <laughs> affluent cycling fans right they just you know from what i my sense is that people who buy rafa they don't really buy other cycling um accessories like they're mad for it um but they they could just have a digital following rafa they could, you know, and you've always thought that for years. But then suddenly they have like a hundred of these, what they call Rafa cycling clubs all around the world. Um, that are physical communities, not always with stores, but sometimes with physical stores. They're investing mm-hmm. so much money in physical. And it's 100% because of what you just said. It's because of loyalty. Because they've now got a clear sense that the way they drive real loyalty and really make that kind of like turn that kind of, um, you know, strong customer into a lifelong fan that's with physical spaces and physical events. Um, and loads yeah. of brands are following their example as well. With experiences, right? I think at the end of the day, yeah. that's what the consumer is looking for, an experience, right? And it doesn't yeah. have to be completely elaborate or too complex. It's just making me feel a little extra special for spending my money with you. Totally. And look, I'm, um, I, you know, I don't want to be one of these people that says you can't have experiences online. You can, I mean... You know, we have um, now with um, you have now kind of you know virtual shopping experiences and metaverse communities. You know, vans 
mm. teamed up with Roblox to make that immersive game you've probably seen, which is amazing. It's great. And, you know, that loads of Gen Zers are going in and playing this kind of skateboarding vans game where you can customize your own vans, trainers, and buy stuff. And it's great. And that's experience. Don't get me wrong. That is experience. But you can't create that for every brand and every sector. And for a hell of a lot of customers in this world, experience still means stuff in the physical world. It just does. Um, and it's a massive part of, of, um, of when it comes to, you know, what we're talking about, it's a massive part of loyalty. I know that online can, we all know online can deal with the kind of functional part of retail, but can it deal with the fun part? I'm not, I'm not sure it can. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and taking it back to omnichannel, what do you think is the, you know, omnichannel, what, what impact is it really having on retail KPIs? Uh, do, do you think they're really going back to the KPIs and saying, why we're, we're really changing our business or they're just looking at the data and continuing to do business as they did yesterday? Yeah, this is a really, really, in many ways, the most important point about um, omnichannel retail and the challenges that um, brands are facing. So the, the reality is, and we know this from a lot of um, bigger retailers that we've worked with, um, brands are really struggling with omnichannel KPIs um, and, to put it simply, it's because they can't measure accurately the relationship between what customers are doing in different channels. So to put it simply, um, the classic store KPI, um, you know, so measure of success within a store would be sales per square foot, how much you're selling for that space mm -hmm, mm -hmm. across the country or whatever. So sales per square foot will be the way you measure it. Now, that worked up until this world where, you know, these customer journey. So if say, say someone, um, their journey for buying a particular product, so a t-shirt, maybe that's taken four or five different um, touch points. And those touch points, a couple of them might've been digital. Um, and then maybe after going into the store, they meet someone who's amazing and convinces them, yeah, actually like this shirt's really amazing. But the person says, yeah, but I'm going to buy it online actually, because you know, it's got the right color that I wanted online or whatever. They go home, they buy online and then the store, for a lot of brands, the brands haven't worked out how they haven't captured that sale that ends up online, even though the store has played a massive role in that person buying the T-shirt online because you know, mm -hmm. this brilliant staff member has advised them. That is a classic scenario, and it's happening all the time. So brands can't do that because unless you're Nike and you have an app that 100 million people have downloaded or whatever, and you, you can actually be tracking them when they're in store and at home, right? Yeah, yeah, every moment usage, right? <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. But Nike are almost, I feel like, not even worth mentioning retail because they're like the exception that proves the rule. They're right? not comparable at this moment. No, exactly. And no one else has that many, you know, everyone else reaches, you know, launches retail apps and they can't get, you know, even a few thousand people downloading them. So Nike have, have nailed it. They've got the omni-channel KPI thing down because they can measure it through the app. But for, for, ordinary, um, for ordinary retailers and, and the rest of the world, how do you measure it? It's, it's impossible. No one's quite cracked it. So omni-channel KPIs is the thing. What do you measure if you don't measure sales per square foot? The one answer I've seen to this, which is interesting, or the one approach is almost a shift in mindset. So some brands, bigger brands who maybe have the luxury to be doing this, where they're selling quite a lot online and quite a lot in stores, mm -hmm. they're saying, well, maybe we just put stores into the kind of marketing or advertising budget or partly into the marketing and advertising budget. So we just say, we know stores are playing a role in online sales. So let's remove some of the pressure and let's kind of see them as, or directly put them into the kind of marketing budget category. 
And in fact, we know some brands. So we know that Gentle Monster, the, you know, the, the, the kind of glasses, sunglasses brand based in South Korea, who are really interesting. They have these really bizarre stores. You should look them up. So there's one in um, New York. It's really great. Um, but from, from what I'm aware, um, their stores go into the marketing budget because they're not really trying to sell in, those, in a lot of those stores. What they're trying to do is build brand awareness. They're trying to grab people's attention with these really cool ex- ex- um, interiors and experiences. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a marketing. That's what it's doing. It's like an advert. Um, and then, you know, KP- a KPI of sales per square foot doesn't make sense in a space that's focused on experience, actually. Um, even, even though it might produce millions in sales. Exactly. Precisely. Because, you know, if, if we you know, talk about like an amazing advert during the Super Bowl, um, that obviously is measured as an advert, as it should be. And then sales happen elsewhere. But the same thing could be said with an incredible store. You know, and we've all had those experiences. I'm sure you've been into a store and it's been amazing. You haven't necessarily bought there and then, but maybe online you've bought for years afterwards. You know, there are, yeah, there are yeah, a number of those. Yeah, well, you see the way they do the combinations of the apparel, the way they're dressing up the mannequins or just the way they even did a video or something. And it just inspires you to want to look that way, right? Because at the end of the day, what is close, if not just a manifestation in some regard to a, our alter ego, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. That's and, exactly it, yeah. Yeah. And let me ask you, where do you think, obviously there's the KPI challenge that we talked about. There's the inventory challenge that we talked about. I don't think it's going to be resolved as an industry, right? In one take. I think retailers, as you mentioned, will slowly find out their own personal solution to their target audience, right? But as they find those resolutions, where is Omnichannel going next? Where is it going headed for those people that are able to overcome those issues? I think that what's starting to happen, which I'm really enjoying, is post-pandemic, and I don't know whether it's that kind of ability to see things with more clarity, maybe because, you know, um, you've got less budget because the pandemic wipes so much money and, you know, and, and creates so many challenges. Maybe it's given people some time to reflect and a lot of brands to simplify things. But I feel like things have got a bit less gimmicky. So I'll give you some real examples of this. 10 years ago, so inside of Trends, we do a lot of retail tours. A big part of what we do is we take big brands to, you know, um, what we think are really interesting, meaningful retail spaces, flagship spaces and concept spaces in places like New York, London, Paris. Um, and we were noticing, the reason I say this is 10 years ago when we're doing these tours, you know, a lot of omni-channel in-store, if we were trying to show someone what that looks like, the interpretation by a lot of brands was basically just massive screens, Right. Um, you just see a load of huge screens or some quite kind of, or there'd be some sort of vague, like early examples of virtual reality things. So like some headsets in a store and it Mm. felt quite heavy handed and you didn't really understand what the point of it was. Like as a customer, you're like, yeah, but what, what is this? How does this link to your brand? What does this mean for me as a customer? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that was kind of, and that, it was always like that for, for a while. It felt like, yeah, what does it really mean? And I've noticed gradually that shifted, but rapidly that shifted after the pandemic. And a lot of brands are really starting to understand the customer. So a great example of this is suddenly I'm seeing in store loads of, even in really kind of future-focused spaces, um, an example would be made.com, who are the huge sort of um, online marketplace of furniture in Europe. So they've mm-hmm. got a showroom in London. They used to be playing around with in-store screens and all kinds of stuff, and now they just have little cardboard QR codes next to every single product because they've really learned. They've gone from super expensive in-store tech to super simple, pragmatic little QR codes because they've learned. They've gone in the pandemic. Oh, 
people want to use their phones. They don't want to touch our screens. They like using their phones. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we, all, we don't need to learn that. We love our phones. Um, and, you know, they realize people want to go around and store. They're happy to scan a code. And, of course, we all learned to scan codes again during, during the pandemic. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of – the reason I share that is I think the future – feels like it's getting a bit more pragmatic. People, brands are starting to acknowledge what customers actually want. Live streaming is another great example of this. Live streaming took off during the pandemic um, for practical reasons. So, you know, a lot of stores being closed, live streaming became a way of still talking to service staff in some of your favorite stores. There's a big thing in the UK. John Lewis um, have these kind of legendary, incredible customer service staff members. They're, they're great. Um, and all of a sudden, you could... Um, you could speak to them during the pandemic online from home and they could still be advising you whilst you're shopping on their website. It was great. But -hmm. those kinds of brands have carried on doing this, live streaming in this practical way because they've kind of realized, well, actually, that really works. It's a cool thing, but it's it's also a really practical thing. So I guess what I'm getting at is I think there's a – what we're starting to see and we'll see more of is, yes, using technology, being creative, being innovative, but doing it in a more practical and meaningful way. So looking out at those technology and not just grabbing the – you know, it's not just about drones and augmented reality or whatever is the coolest new thing, but actually looking at your own customers, your brand, what you do, what works, and saying, well, what technology out there can help our customers do what they want to do, can give them something exciting and meaningful. That's happening more. And I just think there'll be more of that. I think all of the technology and the concepts are out there already. I think brands mm-hmm. are just going to get better at picking the right ones for them rather than just kind of trying to do everything and just hoping something works. I see, I see. So they'll probably segregate in better using the technology that fits more to their criteria, right? Rather than trying yeah. to adapt and have everything and provide everything to every customer. No, that's that's a great point. And the last question I want to ask you, Jack, is, and I love to ask this to everybody that we, we have in the podcast, is if you have one piece of advice for all the retailers out there, whether it's executives, entrepreneurs, right? Um, what would be that one piece of advice to, to really focus on as they're either opening their business, growing their business, or continuing in business in, in this next portion of the year? I think the most important thing I would say is just stop and really examine the customer journeys, however you have to do that, whether that means you have to literally go out and watch the way your customers are shopping in the physical world, whether you're tracking what they're doing online. Watch and observe and learn about these customer journeys because they are changing those customer journeys are omni-channel they're from digital to physical and back to digital they could be all kinds of channels and there's no rules about which ones they're in and how many touch points it takes before someone buys i just think learn what those journeys are learn what are the most common within your particular brand and build your omni-channel ecosystem around those customer journeys do that and i don't really see how you can fail don't get drawn in by the technology the possibilities Um, The trends, you know, the stuff that I talk about, don't get drawn in too much about that. Probably most of what you need is already within your business. The information is there. Just really have a laser focus on what those customer journeys are um, and build your strategy around those. Yeah, no, I think that's a great piece of advice to to really laser focus on what your largest clientele is telling you to do, right? And then making your entire strategy around that because you can't cater to everybody, you know? And I think there's there's a very famous saying that, you know, the whoever's a waiter for every single table is no good waiter for any table at all. You know, mm, and, and it really, yeah. it really hits what you're mentioning, right? Find yeah, out yeah. What, what it is 
and cater to that. Well, yeah, thank I you so that. much, Jack. I, I wish appreciate I'd said your that time. myself, Carlos, to be honest. Sorry? That's a good one. I wish I'd said that myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal it from you. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, you can take it. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, please email us at podcast at retailcorner.live or visit our website, retailcorner.live. Looking forward to having you as our guest on our podcast. And thank you so much for listening.